0: Um, I I want to share with you guys a little bit about how I grew up. Um, you guys see me now living in Seoul, like like I just belong here, like I've been here my whole life. But I come from a very different place, a very very different place than than uh, Seoul, Korea. Okay, I didn't grow up where there's subway systems and buses and you know technology and <laughs> all the modern civilization we see around us. I grew up um, from the time I was two to the time I was eight on a large farm, okay? And when I say large, I mean very large. It was 400 acres. And I don't know if that's a unit of measurement that we use internationally. As someone who's smart can try to convert that for me, but 400 acres is a very large piece of land, okay? It's so big that we didn't even know, like, everything we owned. And we walked around outside all the time. but um. You know, like a lot of kids, I loved secret spots. And if you, like, played a lot when you are a kid or had a big house or something or whatever, you loved to have secret spots. Did anyone here have, like, a secret clubhouse or a treehouse or, like, a secret place they like to play? Okay, some of us. Okay, I I loved having secret spots, okay? And on a 400-acre farm, you could imagine that, you know, a little kid can run around and have a lot of fun. But um, we had, you know, cattle dogs horses goats a pig named Murphy we had it was we were like legit farmers you know and uh, my brothers my brother and then I had a, a pack of cousins of guy cousins they were like my brothers too they're all a bunch of older dudes and so my brother and my pack of guy cousins and I we would just run around outside all day long my mom would just lock us out and say play outside you know and, um, you know, when I wasn't, when we snuck away from our farm work and chores and whatever else we had to do, <laughs> we would all go play together outside. Um, we, like, we had a lot of stuff to do out on our farm. Um, there was a lot of really, really cool parts of the farm that that I loved to visit, okay? It was a big farm, so there's, like, certain spots that, as a little kid, we liked to play in. So, um, like, in front of my house, it's kind of, like, in a circle my house and then my great uncle's house and then my grandpa's shop and then my grandma and grandpa's house and it kind of made a circle and in the middle of the circle was a pond and we could take our paddle boat and it had a dock and we could paddle on the pond and we'd ride our horses around the pond and then um, there was also we walked a mile down through the cattle pastures there's um, a catfish pond okay and this pond was always stocked and um, with our catfish, so I could go fishing whenever I wanted with my cousins and my grandpa. And then um, we also had like like abandoned warehouses that had a bunch of cool old stuff that we could play with. We, so if you live on a farm, you develop a very like big imagination because you don't have a lot of other stuff to play with. So you're you're just like playing with whatever. But we thought it was really cool. And then um, my grandpa, like we, his shop was always really fun too because he had all these strange tools, and he'd sit outside um, on his, like, plastic chair, drinking Bud Light and smoking cigars and, you know, talking about the war all day, <laughs> and we come, like, say hi to our grandpa, and he'd give us, like, sugar-free candies, and then we, we just always had so much fun on our farm, uh, me and my cousins and my brother, but um, our favorite spot collectively was our secret club. And I have never told anyone about this because, you know why? Because it's a secret. And they, they, pro- they made me swear I would never tell anyone, okay? But um, we sold our farm. And we're all older now, so I'm going to tell you guys. But our secret clubhouse was, like, um, on the way to the catfish pond, like, so half a mile down away from our house in the woods. We kind of cleared this spot of land, maybe, like, this big, okay? And then we got, like... The, the bushes and the brush or whatever out of the way. And then we dragged like a beat-up rug, put it on the ground, got some beat-up furniture, some old furniture that people threw out and like put it around the circle. And we just like sat there and had so much fun together. And it was our secret clubhouse and the grown-ups couldn't find us. And that's the whole reason it was cool, okay? It was so much fun. And um, I loved all these spots a lot. I had so much fun. Um, playing outside but uh, though I love these spots among all the nooks and crannies of my 400 acre farm I had a secret spot just for myself and no one else knew about it and no one else ever saw it and no one else ever knew I was going there it was all mine okay it was my spot anybody else have a spot like that okay I'm gonna tell you all about mine it's really special to me okay Okay, so um, a little ways in front of my house, so my house is here, and the pond where we, you know, paddled on our little paddle boats were here. But then, um, from the road leading to my house, all the way to the pond, there's like a little creek, okay, a, a creek, like a little stream of water that flows down and it empties into the pond. And in front of my house, if you go down a little ways, there's a little patch of wood, okay, a little patch of woods. And then, like, no one ever went there because it's just a patch of woods. Why didn't we clear it? Oh, we should probably clear it. That's probably what my dad was thinking. But then I went in there and I played all the time because like, the trees kind of like bended inward like this. So they kind of like leaned in and made like this little tree rooftop over this little area. And there was like soft grass and big rocks. And the creek kind of like um, got bigger and made a little pool of water right there too, OK? So I would go there every single day. I would sneak out of the house, finish my chores, do whatever, sneak away from all my, the pack of boys I played with, and then I would go like into that wooded area and play in the creek. And usually I just started by like taking off my shoes if I was wearing shoes that day because we run around barefoot a lot. A lot on my farm. Okay. And um wow, I'm really revealing a lot of my um ness right now. So if I was wearing shoes that day, I would take them off and then I would just sit on a big rock and then I would just put my feet into the cool water. But then soon I was like, ah, I have to play, so I would just jump in the whole way. Um and then a lot of times I would just <laughs> and then I would just um sit on the bank of the creek as well. And I remember I would just close my eyes and and just like everything would be really really still. So I lived on my farm from when I was 2 to 8, and all those years for as long as I can remember, I remember doing this almost every day. And I would just sit there and and I would feel just the grass beneath me and just see the sun, you know, coming through the trees overhead and all I could hear was just like the the sound of the stream, the little creek trickling in my ears and everything was so still, everything was so quiet, everything was so peaceful. And I loved that spot so much. It was my secret spot, okay? Yeah, and you know, it was like, it was really, really sad whenever we moved off the farm, though, um, because growing up, I moved around a lot. Um, My dad, he was a cargo ship inspector, But he also um, just liked to start new businesses and start new stuff. So um, we moved to, um, like every two to three years, my dad would start a new business or he would move us to another country for his cargo ship inspecting, right? And so um, every time, pretty much, I just, I got used to an area, like two years, you make some friends or whatever, we'd pack up our whole lives and move again. And so, you know, sometimes it was just to another town, like we moved, um... We moved across, like, just 30 minutes away from Green Forest, Arkansas, to Berryville. And my dad, he um, he opened up a motel restaurant business. And so sometimes it's just across town. Sometimes it was across a continent. We moved my third grade year to um, Valencia, no, to Busan. Um, and then we moved back to the our motel business. And then we moved to Valencia, Spain two years after that. And then we moved back to the farm, and then back to the, and so we were moving a lot. And um, at other times, it was it was to whoever's house would take me in. When my mom and I were homeless, um, it was family, friends, my own high school friends, whatever, whoever would open up their house to me. And so um, I counted, I counted, and the number of times that I moved before I went into college was 13 times, whether that was you know with my family or by myself when we didn't have a house. And it's crazy because as soon as I'd get used to that new environment, we were always leaving. And so I, I didn't really get attached much to things or to places because they were always very transient to me. And um, But no matter what house or neighborhood or continent I was on, um, I took my secret spot with me, okay? And every time we moved, before I would unpack my things or settle down or get to know friends or whatever, my first question was, like, I started searching the house and searching our neighborhood, like, where's my secret spot going to be at this house? Where's my secret spot going to be at this house, you know? And I would search until I could find, like, my spot, okay? And, um... It was crazy. In Spain, it was like this veranda outside my bedroom. And then um, in Busan, it was like the edge of this playground outside my apartment complex. And though I didn't have my creek and the grass and the trees and the sunlight and all that stuff that was on my farm, that place of rest and peace and stillness and safety that my secret spot had, it was the same, no matter where I was, right? And it really gave me a sense of stability, no matter how many times my parents moved us, no matter where we were. And today what I want to talk about with you students is is just that, our secret spot with the Lord, okay? Um, If you know my testimony, which I didn't get to share it this semester yet, but I think many of you know it, um, I was saved later on in life. So when I was an Emmaus student in college... Sophomore year, studied abroad at Yonsei, and that's when I really encountered Jesus and gave my life to him. And um, my secret spots really began to change when I met the Lord. Okay, My secret spots really changed when I met the Lord because I realized that the source of protection and safety and peace that I was experiencing just for brief moments in those secret spots... It was just a shadow and echo of the God who was peace, the God who was rest, right? The God who always walked, who always gave me safety and protection. And I realized that as I began to know Him more, it was something I could access in His presence. And I remember that semester when I encountered the love and grace of Jesus, um, and when He was healing me of all my past pain and trauma and washing away my shame, um, I remember that, I was just so drawn to meeting with the Lord in secret. I was so drawn to my secret spot with God, okay? And the reason for that is, um, like, I just, I had it my whole life, but I realized that what I was searching for, I found it all in Him. And so I was just so, I just couldn't wait until my next time to be with the Lord. And, um, you know, classes and... Um, friends and family it was it was you know part of my life but honestly i kind of felt like they were all getting in the way and i was annoyed and frustrated by all those things because i was like man they're taking up my time away from the lord right that's kind of how i was thinking when i first um, started walking with jesus and after my um, semester brought in Seoul as a sophomore, I moved back to the States to finish college, and I began to get really, really busy with classes. I had a part-time job I worked out every day. I was um, really active with my campus ministry and my church. So I was very busy, didn't have much time, and I was also very studious. So I studied a lot as well. And then on top of that, I lived in an apartment dorm, and I had two girls living in the dorm room with me, and we shared one bathroom, and those two girls were not saved. And so after I get saved here, I go back home, and I'm really busy, no time, and um, I'm living with non-believers, so like, you know, I can't just start singing hallelujah, hallelujah, and like, you know, freaking them out in the middle of the day, because they're going to be like, first of all, you're really loud, and second of all, you're freaking me out, okay? So I was like, how am I going to have my secret spot? How am I going to have my secret time with the Lord? And... Um, there was no option. There was no way, nowhere for me to go. My roommates are always there. I'm really busy all day long. What am I going to do? But um, not meeting with him in secret was not an option for me because I knew I had to have that in order to live. Like, because God had so radically changed my life, that was how desperate I was to be in the Lord's presence. And so <laughs> I um, I knew that I needed to do something and so uh, drastic times call for drastic measures so I woke up at 5 a.m. every single day as a college sophomore junior senior and I would go into our shared bathroom and I would take <laughs> my computer and my Bible and a Bible like a devotional book and a journal or something and then I would sit down and I would, begin to worship and pray and read the word and meditate and I would just I would just show up and you know and I like my spot it was like the bathroom was pretty small so the to- mr. toilet is right here <laughs> and the sink is right here and the shower is right here and I'm just on the bathroom floor you know on I'm like I'm sitting on the floor and um and I would just let the father love me and I would just show up and let him love me I would show up and let him speak to me and um, you know, those days, like Pastor Myanmar preached yesterday, it's a lot of weeping, a lot of crying, a lot of healing as the Lord really made me new in his presence and restored me in his presence. <clears throat> and then soon my roommates and I would have to start the day, go to class, all that other stuff, right? But that all had to happen before they woke up. And, you know, t- those two, three years doing that, um, it caused several things to happen, one, it caused my bathroom to be very clean because, you know, I'm BFS of to the toilet and I'm sitting on the floor, so I always kept my bathroom really clean because I'm the one that had to be in there, you know, for several hours in the day. And more importantly, number two, what happened was um, it also caused things to really change inside of me, and God was doing a little bit of cleaning up in my own soul and my own heart, Right? And today, that's kind of what I want to talk about with you guys, um, what happens to us and what God does when we choose to put ourselves in the secret place with him, okay? And so I want us to turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. It's at the beginning of the Bible, Exodus, Old Testament. And when you're there, I want you to look up, and so I can know we're ready to start. All right. I'm going to read it out loud, and you guys can follow along with me. I'm reading from the ESV, and I'm starting at verse 7, okay? Exodus 33, starting with verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the Tent of Meeting. All the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. All right. I want us to bow our heads and pray together. Bow our heads and pray together. Yes, Father, I just thank you that you are, um, so good. You are so good. You are a good father to us, and Lord, I thank you that um, each of us gathered here, we're here because of your grace. In your grace, you saw us and chose us and said that we would live. I thank you that each of us are here because you drew us here. We're not here of our own accord, we're not here because of a flyer, we're not here because a friend invited us. Maybe you used those things, but we're here because you chose to be gracious and merciful to us. And God, I thank you that you are um, standing with your arms wide open, giving us an invitation tonight, an invitation to to know you more, an invitation to see your glory, an invitation to see your goodness, an invitation to step into the cleft of the rock and to meet with you. And God, I pray that every heart and, and eye and ear will be open tonight, really to perceive what you're doing and to perceive this honorable and worthy and awesome invitation that you're extending to us. God, we love you, and we give you our full attention and focus tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so um, kind of. Where we pick up in Exodus chapter 33, um, there's 32 other chapters in Exodus that happened before this, right? So a lot has happened. And if you guys have read Exodus, you know that it started with a burning bush. Moses gets called by the Lord to go to Egypt and deliver the Israelites out of the bondage there. And then after that, the Lord, um, he parts... The sea and makes a way for the Israelites to escape, right? Then they're wandering in the wilderness hungry and tired and grumbling a lot. And the Lord sends manna down from heaven. He sends water to flow from a rock, right? He provides for his children. And then after all of that happens, um, God leads them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of, a pillar of, what is it, fire at night, right? And so everywhere they go, every step they take, they're reminded of a manifestation of the Lord's presence. It's crazy that God would lead them in such an intimate and powerful way. Like, they didn't have to really try hard to believe God was leading them. They just had to look up, and he was there. They just had to look at their hands, and manna was there, right? Um, After that, God's presence comes down onto Mount Sinai, and he calls... Moses up to the top of the mountain, and it says that the the whole mountain is full of a cloud of smoke because the Lord's presence is manifested there. And he's beginning to speak to Moses and give him the Ten Commandments. And he's also telling Moses about a lot of other important things, like priestly garments and what he wants and what he doesn't want, right? And as he's speaking with Moses, um, the last thing that God tells Moses in chapter 31, um, he has a long conversation with Moses about Sabbath. Okay, and I'm going to read to you what God says in in these four verses. Chapter 31 of Exodus. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, will sanctify you. The Sabbath day of solemn rest, holy to the Lord, because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So that's the last thing God speaks to Moses, and then Moses comes down off the mountain and he sees that everybody was having a party a party, and melted a golden calf and they began to worship it while he was up there talking with God. So Moses had to deal with that mess and, you know, the wrath of God was definitely stirred when that happened. And then we get to chapter 33 where um, Moses and God have this interaction in the tent of the meeting, right? so the word says in chapter 33 that the tent is where where's the tent is it on a mountain is it inside the civilization the camp the tent of meeting is outside the camp and does it say that it's super duper close to the the camp right outside on the border yeah, it says it is far off. The tent of meeting is outside the camp, far off from the camp, right? So you have to walk a ways to get there. This means it's away from distraction. It's away from work. It's away from all the people you got to deal with every day. It's away from everything else that your normal everyday life has, has to deal with, right? It's secluded. It's isolated. It is far off. And when Moses would go, um, it says it says people would go there when they when they sought the Lord. Okay, It's far off distance, and they go to the tent of meeting. Right. It means that it's a place of presence because whenever Moses entered in, what descended into the tent of meeting? Do you guys remember? It said a pillar of cloud would also show up, and then the Lord would stand at the entrance and speak with Moses. So Moses goes into the tent of meeting, and a pillar of cloud goes there too, okay? And then Moses and God talk face-to-face as a man talks with his friend. And I kind of want to pause here because I feel like that whole idea, it sounds really good in the Bible, and we know that it's something we've read before, something that we should do, but to go off to a far, secluded, isolated place away from all distraction and people, that is something so foreign to our world, right? And our generation, especially here in Seoul. And I really think that it's the devil's tactic in our generation specifically, to keep us from entering into a secret spot, to keep us from entering into a meeting place with the Lord. I think that some of the the biggest tactics he uses is um, deceitful desires, which lead to distraction and which lead to restlessness, right? And if you're taking notes, I really want you to write those three things down because I think that there are things we need to be alert and sober-minded and catch ourselves in because if we don't, guys, we're going to spend all our days being pulled back and forth between many different things and missing out on the thing that is the most important, right? Deceitful desires, distraction, and restlessness. Deceitful desires, distraction, and restlessness. Um, it's funny that right before we get to this 10th meeting passage, the last conversation God had with Moses was about rest, right? I will sanctify you. On the seventh day, God was um, refreshed and he rested, right? God rested and refreshed, was refreshed on the seventh day Sabbath. And then he says, make sure that my people um, observe the Sabbath, right? And what I want to focus on today is not necessarily the seventh day on Sunday. You got to make sure you don't do any work. What I'm talking about is that place of shalom and that place of stillness and that place of safety, that place of presence, is something that's very important to the Lord's heart. Very important that, so important that he would tell Moses that before he stepped down, right, from the mountain. And it's something that God stresses over and over in his scripture. And it's something that is the, is completely opposite of deceitful desires, distraction, and restlessness, right? You know, our generation is so overcome by distraction. Um, We are, like, we are seriously being pulled, like, one person is pulled into so many directions all at the same time. Like, we're pulled everywhere. Professors, parents, friends, our own ambitions, our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own emotions, everything that's happening to us, it's like all these external pressures, and we're being pulled back and forth, right? And honestly, like, I talk with many students every day, and I have friends that are my age and older, And in in this age range, and in this city, and and in this time, man, we can't even sit still. Like, it's hard to even finish a conversation with someone, or for some people, even a sentence, without being distracted, right? Like, hey, so I think that, Oh, oh, oh wait, let me finish this cacao chat, right? And then you forget what you're even talking about. And then, like, we can't, we really can't sit still and, like, focus at all. Really, if you're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's very hard for us. And like 10 million things are coming all the time at our, at our minds, right? We're trying to do all these different things at the same time as well. I got my Facebook window open, my Gmail window open, my Excel spreadsheet open, my homework open, my, my chat open, and I'm doing all this stuff at the same time, as well as Instagramming this picture of what I'm doing, and cacaoing about it to all my friends, and then, you know, like, and so we're just doing 10 million things at once, and then at the end of the day, we're like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Like, what did I, wh- what did I just spend the last five hours doing, you know? It's crazy, it's crazy that we're actually working hard. We're putting our effort in, but nothing's really getting accomplished. And we're, we've are we got our hand in so many different things at the same time, distracted from all of them, right? Not only that, but we also have so much knowledge and information right at our fingertips. We can literally find out the answer to any question we ever want just by doing a Google Google search, right? In a couple seconds, we have our answer, or like multiple different answers. We know a lot of stuff. But it seems like now more than ever, we are most disconnected from the stuff that really matters. We're most disconnected from really knowing our own heart, connecting with God, connecting with others. We're the most isolated, most disconnected, most distracted than we've ever been. And I think, I mean, I look back from when I was, when I was a kid, and of course things are different then, but I feel like this generation, It's something the enemy is strategically using. You know, like social media and internet, it's not bad. Having different things on our phone is not bad. I'm not saying that, but it can be something that the enemy uses to really pull us in many different directions, right? And so one one kind of important thing to keep in mind is that We don't just develop this distraction because we have ADD, okay? Not all of us have ADHD in this room, okay? Attention deficit disorder. Distraction happens and and the mind wandering and restlessness restlessness happens when we perceive value in something, okay? If we perceive value in something and think it's good, then our heart and our minds will wander to that thing and we will be distracted to think about it. If we're sitting in class and the lecture gets a little bit boring, it's the first thing we're going to think about, right? So the things that we have decided are valuable and good, we will chase after. And if we do not know when our minds are perceiving something is valuable and good, then it's going to lead to a lot of really, really deceitful desires, right? Ephesians 4.22 says that, that some of our desires are deceitful. Deceitful means it's a lie. So what does that mean? I really desire this thing over here, and I'm so distracted by this. So when I'm having a conversation with my bestie, whom I haven't seen in forever, I'm checking my cacao about this other thing because I perceive value and I desire this thing. But have we actually considered what our desires are? And is that a deceitful desire? Is it a desire leading to distraction and restlessness? Or is it a good one? And if we don't ask ourselves that, what is distracting me? What is causing me to be restless in this moment? then our minds and our emotions will just get out of control and we'll be chasing down all these different things, going down many different paths only to find at the end of the path that it leads to destruction, that it leaves us empty, that it leaves us still hungering for something real and tangible and meaningful, right? When all the while that real connection that's in front of us with God, with people, with with the work that has been given to us, It loses its value and we forget what is actually meaningful and valuable and what is actually a deceitful desire, a distraction, right? And we really need a spirit of discernment to tell the difference. And so, um, you know, I feel like our generation, we are really, really um, exhausted in many ways. And we have been extremely restless. Because we're always searching and searching and searching for something, never finding it. And then we're really, really tired at the end, right? And I think as I, as I shepherd different students, as I deal with my own you know, life, I can definitely identify with this. I see it um, among a lot of students and in my own life. Man, what have I done with this whole day? Where have my, where has my mind and my heart been wandering? What are the things I've, I've perceived are significant significant and valuable? And have I traded something really precious for something that is not so important after all? You know? David said in Psalm 27, one thing I desire of the Lord and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that I may gaze upon his beauty. And I love this psalm so much. One thing I ask of the Lord, you know, it's so dramatic and it's beautiful. But I was just thinking about it today, like, when we're even in the house of God and it's worship time and everybody around you is raising their hand, can you? Can we honestly say one thing I desire of the Lord and this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the Lord's beauty? Like, can we honestly say that? that i have one sole desire in this moment even when it's worship time like what else are we supposed to do during worship time like that is the one time that it's only designated to focusing on god even when it's worship time i'm thinking you know cuz i'm in ministry oh oh i wonder if i got a cacao from from daisy i wonder if i'm supposed to be doing something right now i wonder if we have enough seats for people um apart from even that i'm not going to even blame that i'm thinking about people what I'm going to eat, like, what's happening next, who's preaching and what they're going to talk about. Like, my mind is wandering everywhere, and it's worship time. That's the one time that, like, the Lord gets my undivided attention in the service. You know, I'm not looking at a man. I'm, I'm supposed to be gazing upon the Lord, but even then I have to check my heart. One thing I desire of the Lord. Am I desiring one thing? Is there ever a moment in my life where I stop and think, man, I'm only desiring one thing? one thing right now, right? And I feel like if we're honest with ourselves, those moments are very hard to find, right? When all other desires are just bleak and and gray and a shadow, and the desire to see God and be with him is preeminent and strong, right? Why is it so hard to desire only the Lord? Why is it so hard? Why? Okay? Okay. Because what our souls are really longing for, what our souls are really searching for as we, as we follow those various distractions and desires, it's really all found in the presence of God. Okay, All of those things are found in the presence of God, which is the one thing we are the most easily distracted from. You know, um, our home is heaven. And we have been created. God, as our creator, had something in mind when he made us to know him and to be loved by him. Okay? Our beings were structured around this core. Okay? This is the most important thing to us to know God and be loved by him. That is the purpose of our existence. He created us so that we may know him. And that we may receive his love, okay? And so when human beings, when we aren't being loved by him and knowing him regularly, things don't go well, okay? It's kind of like if you try to run a car and you run out of fuel. You can run off fumes for a while, but eventually your car will stop working, okay? We drove many cars in Arkansas. I crashed several of them. I'm a pretty reckless and bad driver, but my bro- I always kept my gas tank half at least half full to full. I always um, filled it up. My brother had this bad habit; it was so annoying. He would literally go until until it's past the red line of empty, and he's like, no, "No, no, I still got 20 miles left. I still got 20 miles left." And I'm like, "You're so stupid! What's wrong with you? It's just uh, it's past empty. This means it's negative empty, right?" And then several times on deserted roads the car would stop running. And I just get so angry at him, but I couldn't beat him up because he's bigger than me. Anyway, so we as human beings, if the love of God is our fuel, is what keeps us going, and the knowledge of him, growing in awareness of who he is, is what keeps us going, when we are so distracted by all this different stuff, so distracted that we can't get our fill of the love of God and the knowledge of God, the same thing happens to us that happened to that car, right? We can run on empty for a little while. We can run on fumes for a little while. We can run on distant memories of his presence and goodness and get get a couple, like, good feelings during worship time together, but something eventually will go wrong because we were made to be loved by God. We were made for his presence, right? And so... um I feel like that is something God really wants to reveal and speak to us tonight. And, you know, um, 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says that Christ's love compels us, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.14 says Christ's love compels us. It doesn't say striving, working harder, self-help books, frustratedly motivating yourself every day. Trying, 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 working, working, working compels us, right? What compels human beings? Christ's love. The love of Christ compels us, right? Because we were made to be fueled by God's love, the only source of empowerment and inspiration that will really get us going is the love of Christ. It's the only way we can change. It's the only way we can transform. It's the only way we can live lives of victory, to be compelled by the love of Christ. That means everything we do, from little things to big things, the root of it, the thing that inspired us to do it in the first place, cannot be anything other than the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels us. If it's any other force compelling us, it will run out eventually. Okay? You know, Um, sometimes we can end up doing things religiously or ritualistically and we turn off our heart and our minds because we've lost sight of the love of Christ. We've lost sight that it's an overflow of affection for God. And what happens is we just do and do and do or we don't do it at all because we feel like we can't so we just give up, throw in the towel or we don't do things well in our walk because we just think, ah, this is just how it is, right? But the love of Christ won't allow us to do any of those things. He engages our hearts, he engages our minds, and he continually loves us, gives us his grace, and and sets us up to prosper in him in every area of our lives. And I really want us to get that picture that the love of Christ is the most compelling and powerful source we could ever attach ourselves to as humans, okay? Our own passion, our own desires, our own agenda, I promise you it will run out. But this one thing, if you attach yourself to it, if you fix yourself on the love of Christ, it will never disappoint, it will never run out, and you will never run empty. And so I want to go back to this Exodus um, chapter, (coughs) and I want to point out three things that God does to us when we put ourselves in his meeting place, in that secret place with the Lord, okay? Three things that God does to us, three things that God does for us in his grace when we enter into a meeting place with him. Um, in verse 13, Exodus 33, verse 13, if you can turn there with me, it says, Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me now your ways that I may know you, okay? Moses is speaking to God like a friend. And he says, God, if I find favor with you, I want you to do something for me, okay? Show me your ways. Show me your ways, God, okay? God, if I have found favor in your sight, then show me your ways. That is Moses' request before the Lord. Uh John 15:15 15, 15 says, "No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you." And what we see in this passage is something really, really special. It says Moses spoke to God face to face like a friend, and he said, "God, show me your ways," okay? Show me your ways. We're speaking as friends. And then Jesus says, no longer do I call you just servant because a servant doesn't know the heart and the ways of the master, but I call you friend. Okay? I call you friend. We see men and God, man and God being friends here. That's something very, very, very important and very special. Okay? God wants to speak to us and reveal his heart to us as a friend does to another friend, all right? And that is so special and crazy when we think about it. Because in that place of intimate friendship with the Lord, his desires become our desires. Until soon, our biggest desire, our greatest desire, really is him and him alone. He does two things, guys. He changes our desires to look like his, and he causes our biggest desire to be him, okay? And, and as we read here, um, you know, a friend, whenever a friend is interacting with another friend, like if you've ever had a bestie, you don't do things for that friend because of obligation most of the time. Sometimes you have friendly duties that you have to fulfill because you have to. But then, most of the time, you know them well enough to where you want to do it because they matter to you. And um, one example is my my best friend Tina. Um, when we first became friends, you know, there was some times where we had conflict and and things where we rubbed each other the wrong way. Communication differences and personality differences and and i would just be like why you gotta do it like that and you don't understand me and she's why are you like that and you don't understand me and da, da, da. and we would talk about stuff and and in the process we got to know one another we got to know one another's preferences we got to know and understand how we worked wow i'm like this and i think like this and feel like this but you're like that and you think and feel like that and Maybe those things aren't wrong, they're just very different. So the way I interact with this person now changes, right? I know what they desire, I know what they prefer, I know the things that will tick them off and the things that will make them happy. And because I care about her and her emotions and what she desires, even if she doesn't ask me to do something, even if she doesn't straight out tell me to do something, I'm still going to go by what my friend's preferences are, right? If we're interacting in a group, and someone says something, and I know it may not be pleasing to my friend, I, I, I know her emotions, and I know what she's thinking, right? Because I know her so well. Like she doesn't have to, we don't even have to tell each other, well, I just, I can look at her and know, oh man, Tina feels this way right now. Oh, Tina's thinking this right now. And I'm moved by her emotions, right? Because I care about her. Now, that's a, a picture of human friendship that is frail, to people who still sin whatever but that's beautiful right it's learning how to love well imagine being friends with the lord okay he said no longer do i call you servant because a servant doesn't know his master's business a servant doesn't know his master's heart a servant doesn't know his master's preferences and emotions and 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 feelings about this i call you friend because I want to share the deepest things of my heart with you. I want to share what I like and what I dislike. I want to share like a friend shares with another friend, okay? And soon in that place of friendship, we find ourselves moving from obedience and obligation to our hearts being wrapped up in something, right? Our hearts moving with the heart of the Lord. Our hearts just automatically going and doing and serving and being because we know his heart right and so often christians focus on the doing and falling short and feeling lame because they're falling short and they just try to change their actions but they stepped out of friendship with the lord and it starts with friendship with the lord because in that place he reveals his heart to us he reveals what he prefers and when he calls us friends and speaks to us as a friend, it changes us every time, I promise. And so the first thing he does is he changes our desires, not us, okay? In that passage, Exodus 31, it says, I want them to take Sabbaths so they know that I am the one who sanctifies you. Who sanctifies and transforms and changes us? The Lord. We don't do that to ourselves, okay? The Lord changes us. The Lord transforms us, okay? The heart change comes by being locked into the heart of God. The transformation comes by the grace and power of God. Our job is to put ourselves in. In the place of presence. Our job is to step into the tent of meeting. Our job is to step into the secret spot with the Lord, right? We just have to bring ourselves there, and then God does the rest. Um, One example of this is when I first got saved. If you guys know my dad was very abusive, an alcoholic, very physically and emotionally abusive, verbally abusive. So I really had a lot of hatred in my heart, and I vowed to never speak to him again um, my senior year of high school. And I hadn't never, I had talked to him since, uh, since my graduation day. And when I got saved and I would go into my secret spot with the Lord, you know, God started doing some weird things. Because Rona has her own agenda, her own thoughts, her own emotions. And Rona has made up her mind that Rona will never talk to her father again or ever, ever, ever forgive him. That is what Rona said. And she was 100% sure when she said that, that that was what's going to happen, right? But as I entered into the secret spot of God, place with God, he began to talk to me, and as a friend, reveal his heart. And I began hearing stuff like, Rona, I rescued you from your sin, from your shame. I healed you and delivered you. But your dad is so lost in his. Will you pray for him? You know, Rona, I forgave you of all this stuff on the cross. It's defeated. I see nothing. I see pure white as snow when I look at you now. You're my beautiful daughter. But my son, he's so trapped in darkness and sin right now. Right? And, and I soon began to see my dad as a son of God, as a son that Jesus had come down to this earth to die for as a son that was hurting from so much pain and addiction and brokenness. And then I said, man, how could, how could I receive your grace and forgiveness and not forgive my dad? How could I know that people have been praying for me on their knees when I was a big jerk, <laughs> um, when I was really messed up, and not pray for my dad because you love him? And... And soon, if I talked about my dad, I started saying very different things. Soon when I talked about my dad, tears would well up in my eyes because I knew God's heart for him. And I couldn't help but cry and talk about what God's good plans are for my father, right? That is not Ronabab. That was not me. Can I just tell you guys? Yeah, okay, I'm a nice person, but that was not me. That was the Lord. God changes our desires. God changes our minds. God changes our hearts. But what if I just sat by myself and then I just said, you will love your father. You will love your father. You will love your father. You will change and be kind and forgive your dad, right? Apart from God. I'm just trying to be a good Christian and do what I'm supposed to do because people tell me I have to forgive other people, right? That's the strategy, actually, that a lot of us take. When we see sin, we see deception, we see problems with us. That's what we do. We just try to isolate ourselves and fix ourselves, and then we want to go to God when we've done a good job, right? Look at what I did, God. Hey, I'm really great, right? But um, I don't know if that's worked for you, but it doesn't really work for me. And the one thing that changes us is the presence and the encounter and the friendship of the Lord, right? He changes our desires, and he makes us look more like himself. Another example of how God changes our desires is with my roommate, Marie. And I told you guys I had two non-believing roommates. And so I would go to the bathroom and pray and stuff. But one of my roommates, I lived with her before I came to Korea. And I clubbed with her and, like, broke different laws with her. And it was just, like, so I think living with her, we had decided to live together before I got saved. And so... I, I was very curious to see what would happen when we move back in together because our friendship was very based on different activities in the past. So I was radically different in love with Jesus, praying in the bathroom at 5 a.m. And then my friend is just still the same person, right? And she's very concerned that I'm such a Jesus freak, also very annoyed with me that I'm not going out with her anymore, also just very confused because, you know, I'm being loving and weirdly uh, affectionate, and so um, we had some conflict arise that semester. We have never argued before. And suddenly, we just get in these arguments. We start argue, like talking. I don't know, every little thing bothers us. Like, I moved something in the fridge, and she got mad. She moved something in the shelf. and We were just mad at each other all the time. And I would just be like, what the heck, God? Why do I have to live with these sinful people? And then I would just I would go to I, But I'd go every morning at 5 AM. And after receiving the love of God, all that good stuff, soon I heard the, the faint whisper, I love Marie, your roommate, so much. She's my daughter, you know? And I just, want, I just want to show her how much I love her, how much I care for her. And then soon I just found myself praying and crying and weeping for my friend. And, and I remember there were times she would just be like, I'm never going to talk to you again. And she would say really hateful things. And then I would just look at her after a season of that whole praying for her and be like, no matter what you say or do to me, I'm always gonna love you. <laughs> like honestly, she was saying all these hurtful things and I would just be like, I'm always gonna love you no matter what you do. And she would get more angry and like <laughs> storm out of the house and slam the door and then, and then that only lasted three months because, from the semester started till then because one day she went to this business conference, had a really horrible time, came back. She sat on the floor and she said, hey, come here. And so I sat on the floor with her and she said, I think I need to know this Jesus that you're talking about. And I said, all right. (laughs) And and that was the first person I ever led to Christ, right? Because what she needed more than anything was, more than sound theology and whatever was uh, unconditional love. And that is, christ manifested it's loving when we don't deserve it it's giving grace when we don't deserve it it's looking over offenses when we don't deserve it right and it's the first time anyone had ever said hey i'm sticking around i'm by your side i'm gonna love you no matter what you do because you're worth it right because there's something in you that is worth it right because you're god's daughter and that simple i'm gonna love you no matter what completely changed and opened up her heart to receive the Lord. That is not Rona either, okay? It is now, but it wasn't back then. Let me tell you how different I was back then, okay? I, w- I didn't show anybody grace. I didn't love nobody, okay? I was a hurt, messed up, abusive, like, kid. Who? What kind of love did I have to share with anybody, right? I was just looking out for myself my whole life because nobody else was looking out for me. What I'm saying, guys, is not that I'm some holy person or whatever. I'm saying that this happens to every one of us when we enter into the presence of God. If we will put down our smartphone, walk away from our computer, lay down our agendas, and just go into that secret meeting place with the Lord, he does crazy things inside of us. Crazy things inside of us, okay? You know, I said first that God causes our desires to look like his. But secondly, he causes us, he causes the greatest desire in our hearts to become him, right? He causes us to desire him more than anything else. And um, Elizabeth Elliot, she's um, the wife of this famous missionary who died, who was martyred going to an unreached people group uh, named Jim Elliott. She wrote a book called Through Gates of Splendor that talks about that mission's um, journey, but also she wrote a book about marriage and purity called Passion and Purity, okay? And she's talking about her love story with Jim and how she had to wait around for a very long time for the person that she knew she wanted to marry, and in that process, she would talk about what her conversations with God looked like, and this is one of the things she mentioned. In her book, she wrote, um, I would pray to God, God, give me that which I long for or take away the longing. God, give me what I long for or take away this longing. But God said, I must teach you to long for something better. Okay? I must teach you to long for something better. So often we're so distracted by these deceitful desires, so pulled back and forth, to and fro, doing a million different things, and our hearts are so divided all the time, and God's saying, I want to teach you to long for something better. The desires you have, some of them, guys, are God-given, and they are good. But Satan will mask certain things to look like they're going to meet that desire or satisfy that desire when they, in fact, won't. What we really desire, intimacy, significance, like true connection, those things are masked in many different areas, but that is deceitful, okay? What we are looking for, guys, is in the presence of God, okay? And he wants us to long, to learn to desire and long for his presence. Why? Because that is the satisfaction of the desires we have. Because that, when when we go into that place of meeting and we're able to be satisfied in the Lord, it causes us to not be restless anymore, not be distracted anymore, not be so pulled back and forth anymore, right? Um... You know, one thing that's really cool about my secret creek spot was um, it's 20 years later, right? If I was around six years old, seven, I'm going to be 26 soon, okay? And 20 years later, if I close my eyes and, and just am still and it's quiet, I can still feel the grass and the rocks, I can still Um, Like, hear the wind through the trees. I can still hear the trickling of the water in the creek. Like, that place is ingrained in my memory because I was there every single day. And I just got, as a little kid, just got lost in that place, got lost in my imagination, got lost in what was happening there. I forgot everything else that I had to do back home. I forgot everything else that I was supposed to be doing. And I would just play and get lost in that secret spot, right? And that's not so different from our time with the Lord, okay? So it is with God. The Lord wants us in the secret place, in the meeting place with Him, to get lost in His presence, to hear His voice over and over, to feel His presence more and more, so that without trying so hard, We can recall the sweetness of his voice, the what he's doing in the Spirit at each time, right? We're learning how to abide and flow and and know what he's doing. Why? It doesn't just happen in a corporate worship service, right? It doesn't just happen when someone's leading up here. Oh, I can feel the Holy Spirit now. How do we know what the Spirit's doing? By cultivating it in that secret spot day by day. Just like I could hear the sound of that stream going, right? Just as I could feel it and I know it I want to hear God's voice, feel his presence, know what he's doing, know the the ins and outs of his heart in the same way. God wants us to get lost in his presence, in his heart, in that secret encounter with him. Okay? That is something, guys, that no one else can do but you. We can talk about it all day, but at the end of the day, the cultivation of that belongs to you and the Lord. Right? It's your secret spot with him. No one else can know about it. No one else has to know about it. Honestly, no one else should know about it. Like, that's between you and God. But if you miss out, then you're the only one that's lacking. Like, if you choose to not enter in, it's only on you. Because what God wants to give you in that place is so significant and so special and so worth it. All right? And the first thing he does is changes our desires. And the second thing he does is He gives us true rest, okay? He gives us true rest. Verse 14 said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 1 Kings 19 verses 1 through 13 is a story about a prophet named Elijah. And basically, Elijah was running away from this crazy woman named Jezebel, and she wanted to kill him. And he ran and ran and ran for a whole day. I don't know if anybody here ran for a whole day before, but he was really... Maybe Sam Kill could do it, and Eugene... Anyway, the rest of us would die, and Elijah, though, he runs for a day, and then he just collapses underneath a tree, and he literally says, Lord, let me die now, okay, (laughs) because I cannot do this anymore, Lord, just kill me now, is what this prophet of the Lord is, I don't know if you guys have ever been that desperate or exhausted before, but Elijah really was, really, really was exhausted, and he says, God, just kill me now, And he passes out. He falls asleep because he's so tired. And then an angel of the Lord brings food to Elijah and says, Elijah, eat. He brings water to Elijah and says, Elijah, drink. He says, Elijah, sleep. And then God says, Elijah, the journey up ahead is too much for you. Rest and eat and drink more. Okay? And then soon, Elijah gets up. He goes into a cave. And then... um, the Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Okay, get up. And so he goes to the mouth of the cave and then it says that um, an earthquake comes and God was not in the earthquake. A wind comes and God was not in the wind. A great fire comes and God was not in the fire. And then a still quiet voice came and he spoke to Elijah and told Elijah his heart, told Elijah his plans, okay? I wrapped up that story very quickly for you. But what I want to tell you from this story, guys, The same as in Exodus 33, verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Elijah couldn't go further in his own strength, okay? He was completely spent. He was out of energy, out of emotional energy, out of mental energy, out of everything, so he stopped running. But as soon as he gave up, the Lord met him, okay? As soon as he stopped, the Lord provided for him food and water and rest. He said, Elijah, the journey up ahead is too great for you. You need this. And that is what happens in the presence of God. He meets our immediate need now, but he also in that place cultivates us and gives us everything we need for the journey up ahead. Okay. Sometimes God speaks to me and I have no idea what he's talking about. And I just write it down and I say, I must not hear from the Lord very well because I'm confused on what you're talking about. He is depositing things inside of us for what's up ahead. And then one day I'm walking down the SNU campus, and then a thought comes into me. And I'm like, whoa, you told me that, you know, a month ago, a year ago. Wow, right? He prepares us for what is up ahead always in advance, right, by going into the secret spot with him. Sometimes God will give us food to eat. He'll give us water to refresh us. He'll give us an earthquake to shake us up. He'll give us a fire to consume our hearts, right? He will do whatever it takes to show us his love and care for us. He will do whatever it takes, guys. The Lord will always give us what we need as we enter into his presence. And he doesn't move the same way all the time. Because he's a person with a mind, will, and emotions, it's like interacting with a friend. It's like interacting with another person, right? And what I want to emphasize today, just like we talked about in the Sabbath rest passage, true rest does not come by sleeping more, by isolating yourself from other people, by abandoning all your responsibilities, right? And you just, and just vegging in front of the TV, None of those things are bad. Sleep is good. You know, having alone time is good. Watching TV is great. But those things will not bring us rest. True rest is found in one place, and that is the presence of God. Okay? True rest is found in the presence of God. You know, those times I had to go to my secret spot, the reason was because inside my house, Chaos was happening all the time. My dad was throwing things and yelling and just screaming, and him and my mom were arguing, and everything was so loud, and I was so afraid to be in there. I just had to find a place where I felt safe. And as a little kid, I found that at the creek, right? I could be still and quiet and at peace and rest there and there alone. Whenever we feel like our worlds are full of chaos, the place we got to go is the presence of God. Um I was also talking with one of my friends, Brady. He's a brother that goes to church with us at New Philly, and um, we were just having a conversation and in the middle of the conversation he says, "Okay, Rona, I actually have to go meet the father now at Starbucks, so I got to let you go. I'll talk to you later." And I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "Oh, when I meet the father, I leave my phone at home." Okay? And he just he left and he said, "I'll talk to you later." And I realized, "Man, he does not He values what is most important over what is less important. Are people and programs and obligations important? Yes. Is what happens on the and Facebook important? Sometimes, okay? But how often do we sacrifice connecting with the heart of God for those things that are less important, okay? Connecting with the God that will satisfy us, give us rest, give us food, give us water, give us a heart that that will burn for the things of his heart, change us, transform us, give us the breakthrough we want, answer our prayers, how often do we sacrifice connecting with that person for what is so far less important, right? That is what I mean by deceitful desires. We think we're going to be satisfied in these little things, and it really doesn't help us in the end, right? Right? I'm reading a book um, called "Hearts: The Heart's Desire" or something like that, written by James Houston, and it's basically a study of why the human heart desires certain things to the point of addiction, to the point of "I know this is killing me, but I can't help but do it." All the way to the end of the spectrum of people who desire nothing. Right? How what motivates us and what? causes desires in our heart. And he's studying um, St. Augustine here, and he says, The heart is homesick, and only the journey home will alleviate its longing to be with God forever. It is thanks to our mortality that we are beings of desire. Heaven is still our ultimate destiny. Our hearts find no peace until they rest in God. And if God is not the center of our desires, when they then they run amok in all directions as passions and sensual pleasures to debase and imprison us in futility and despair. And I guess the question that is on my heart tonight, and the question I believe is on God's heart is, have we been feeling those things? Futility, despair, discouragement, exhaustion, restlessness, that even if we're sleeping a lot, we don't ever feel well-rested, right? Right? Do we feel that restlessness that he's talking about here? The last point I want to make quickly is in verse um, 17, he says, I will make all of my goodness. Everybody say, "All all my goodness. I will make all my goodness or glory pass over you. Okay, I will put you in the cleft of the rock right next to me and make all my goodness go before you. Now, I want you guys to stop and think about that. Imagine the good, perfect, loving Father God, the creator of the universe. Everything that is a fraction of good on earth, he is that, okay? He is all things good. And he says, Moses, I'm going to let all of that all of my goodness? Can you imagine if you tried to bottle the goodness of God, like how many bottles you would have? Like, all of my goodness will pass before you. Imagine what that would look like, okay? That is what Moses got to see and experience. And then he says, I will be gracious and will show mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And guess what? If you're in this room, it's because God chose to be gracious to you, right? He chose to show mercy to you, and he chose to be gracious and merciful to Moses as well, which is why he's having this interaction with Moses. And I kind of feel like one thing we have to keep in mind as believers is the Lord's goodness. We desperately need a revelation of the goodness of God. Because the reason it's hard for us to enter into the presence of God, the reason it's hard for us to make it a priority, the reason it's hard for us to move away from all the other desires and go towards this one thing, the reason why it's hard to lay down our lives and trust God is because we don't really think he's good. Or we don't really think he's that good. Because if he's really the best thing that's ever happened to us and the most amazing um encounter we could ever have, if he's really who he says he is, and we know that, we would run into the presence of God. We would wake up and run there. And let me tell you guys, after I graduated college and moved back here, as a full-time minister, it is that I never wake up at 5 a.m., ever, ever, ever. That desperation I had to be in the presence is something that I don't have naturally anymore, something that I have to cultivate again, okay? How do I cultivate a desire and passion and taste for God's presence? By putting myself there, okay? And so we need a revelation of God's goodness. And similarly to Moses, when you get into the Lord's presence, ask him, God, I ask that you will show me who you are i ask that you will show me your goodness because i don't want to drag myself here every day and and do this out of obligation i want to do it because i want to know who you really are if i know who you really are if i know how good you really are this wouldn't be so hard for me right we need a revelation of the lord's goodness that he is a good father who desires to give us good things he's not a harsh judge He's not a God that demands and takes and takes and takes. He takes things that are not good for us, that are not good for us in that time, and that are distracting us from, from receiving his love, right? So if one of those desires becomes an idol, guess what? It's going to be shaken and toppled over. Why? Because he loves you too much to let you worship something that will not satisfy you. When he knows that your true source of satisfaction is, Breakthrough, transformation is him and him alone. He will give you all things good because he's a good father. But he desires that you could know him and desire him first so that every other desire will be put in order, right? Our desire for him must be core and central or every other good, perfect, pleasing gift and desire is going to become out of order and chaotic in our lives, right? There has to be an order to it. Um, You know, I think that I'm going to close, but I really want us to um, spend some time in prayer. And so if I could have Bora up on the keys or someone...